0: Section One of the Valley of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. The Valley of the Moon by Jack London. Book One, Chapter One. You hear me, Saxon? Come along. What if it is the bricklayers? I'll have gentlemen friends there, and so will you. The Alta Vista Band'll be along, and you know it plays heavenly, and you just love dancin'. Twenty feet away, a stout elderly woman interrupted the girl's persuasions. The elderly woman's back was turned, and the back, loose, bulging, and misshapen, began a convulsive heaving. God! she cried out, God! She flung wild glances like those of an entrapped animal up and down the big, whitewashed room that panted with heat and that was thickly humid with the steam that sizzled from the damp cloth under the irons of the many ironers. From the girls and women near her, all swinging irons steadily, but at a high pace, came quick glances, and labor efficiency suffered to the extent of a score of suspended, were inadequate movements. The elderly woman's cry had caused a tremor of money loss to pass among the piecework ironers of fancy starch. She gripped herself and her iron with a visible effort and dabbed futilely at the frail, frilled garment on the board under her hand. "'I thought she'd got him again, didn't you?' the girl said. "'It's a shame, a woman of her age and condition,' Saxon answered as she frilled a lace ruffle with a hot fluting-iron. Her movements were delicate, safe, and swift, and though her face was wan with fatigue and exhausting heat, there was no slackening in her pace. And her with seven, and two of them in reform school, the girl at the next board sniffed sympathetic agreement. But you've got to come to Weasel Park tomorrow, Saxon. The bricklayers is always lively. Tugs of war, fat-man races real Irish jiggin and and everything, and the floor of the pavilion's swell. But the elderly woman brought another interruption. She dropped her iron on the shirtwaist, clutched at the board, fumbled it, caved in at the knees and hips, and like a half-empty sack collapsed on the floor, her long shriek rising in the pent room to the acrid smell of scorching cloth. The women at the boards near to her scrambled first, to the hot iron to save the cloth and then to her while the forewoman hurried belligerently down the aisle the women farther away continued unsteadily at their work losing movements to the extent of a minute's setback to the totality of the efficiency of the fancy starch room enough to kill a dog the girl muttered thumping her iron down on its rest with reckless determination working girls' life Ain't what it's cracked up to be. Me to quit, that's what I'm comin' to. Mary, Saxon uttered the other's name, with a reproach so profound that she was compelled to rest her own iron for emphasis and so lose a dozen movements. Mary flashed a half-frightened look across. I don't mean it, Saxon, she whimpered. Honest, I didn't. I would never go that way. But I leave it to you if a day like this don't get on anybody's nerves. Listen to that. The stricken woman on her back, drumming her heels on the floor, was shrieking persistently and monotonously, like a mechanical siren. Two women, clutching her under the arms, were dragging her down the aisle. She drummed and shrieked the length of it. The door opened, and a vast muffled roar of machinery burst in, and in the roar of it, the drumming and the shrieking were drowned ere the door swung shut. Remained of the episode only the scorch of cloth drifting ominously through the air. It's sickening, said Mary. And thereafter, for a long time, the many irons rose and fell, the pace of the room in no wise diminished, while the forewoman strolled the aisles with a threatening eye for incipient breakdown and hysteria. Occasionally an ironer lost a stride for an instant, gasped or sighed, then caught it up again with weary determination. The long summer day waned on, but not the heat, and under the roar flare of electric light the work went on. By nine o'clock the first women began to go home. The mountain of fancy starch had been demolished, all save the few remnants here and there on the boards where the ironers still labored. Saxon finished ahead of Mary, at whose board she paused on the way out. Saturday night, and another week gone, Mary said mournfully, her young cheeks pallid and hollowed, Her black eyes blue-shadowed and tired. What do you think you've made, Saxon? Twelve and a quarter, was the answer, just touched with pride. And I'd a made em more if it wasn't for that fake bunch of starchers my i got to pass it to you mary congratulated you're a sure fierce hustler just eat it up me i've only ten and a half and for a hard week see you on the nine forty sure now we can just fool around until the dancing begins a lot of my gentleman friends'll be there in the afternoon two blocks from the laundry where an arc light showed a gang of toughs on the corner saxon quickened her pace unconsciously her face set and hardened as she passed she did not catch the words of the muttered comment but the rough laughter it raised made her guess and warmed her cheeks with resentful blood three blocks more turning once to the left and once to the right she walked on through the night that was already growing cool on either side were working men's houses of weathered wood the ancient paint grimed with the dust of years, conspicuous only for cheapness and ugliness. Dark it was, but she made no mistake. The familiar sag and screeching reproach of the front gate welcomed under her hand. She went along the narrow walk to the rear, avoided the missing step without thinking about it, and entered the kitchen, where a solitary gas-jet flickered. She turned it up to the best of its flame. It was a small room, not disorderly because of lack of furnishings to disorder it. The plaster, discolored by the steam of many wash days, was crisscrossed with cracks from the big earthquake of the previous spring. The floor was ridged, wide cracked, and uneven, and in front of the stove it was worn through and repaired with a five gallon oil can hammered flat and double. A sink, A dirty roller towel, several chairs, and a wooden table completed the picture. An apple core crunched under her foot as she drew a chair to the table. On the frayed oilcloth, a supper waited. She attempted the cold beans, thick with grease, but gave them up and buttered a slice of bread. The rickety house shook to a heavy, prideless tread, and through the inner door came Sarah, the middle-aged, lop-breasted, hair tousled, her face lined with care and fat petulance. you, she grunted, a greeting. "'I just couldn't keep things warm. Such a day I nearly died of the heat. And little Henry cut his lip awful. The doctor had to put four stitches in it.' She came over and stood mountainously by the table. "'What's the matter with them beans?' she challenged. "'Nothing. Only... Saxon caught her breath and avoided the threatened outburst. Only I'm not hungry. It's been so hot all day. It was terrible in the laundry. Recklessly she took a mouthful of the cold tea that had been steeped so long that it was like acid in her mouth, and recklessly, under the eye of her sister-in-law, she swallowed it and the rest of the cupful. She wiped her mouth on her handkerchief and got up. I guess I'll go to bed. Wonder you ain't out to a dance, Sarah sniffed. Funny, ain't it? You come home so dead tired every night, and yet any night in the week you can get out and dance unearthly hours. Saxon started to speak, suppressed herself with tightened lips, then lost control and blazed out, Wasn't you ever young? Without waiting for reply, she turned to her bedroom, which opened directly off the kitchen. It was a small room, eight by twelve, and the earthquake had left its mark upon the plaster. A bed and chair of cheap pine and a very ancient chest of drawers constituted the furniture. Saxon had known this chest of drawers all her life. The vision of it was woven into her earliest recollections. She knew it had crossed the plains with her people in a prairie schooner. It was of solid mahogany, one end was cracked and dented from the capsize of the wagon in rock canyon a bullet hole plugged in the face of the top drawer told of the fight with the indians at little meadow of these happenings her mother had told her also and she told that the chest had come with the family originally from england in a day even earlier than the day on which george washington was born above the chest of drawers on the wall hung a small looking glass thrust under the molding, were photographs of young men and women, and of picnic groups wherein the young men, with hats rakishly on the backs of their heads, encircled the girls with their arms. Farther along on the wall were a colored calendar and numerous colored advertisements and sketches torn out of magazines. Most of these sketches were of horses. From the gas fixture hung a tangled bunch of well-scribbled dance programs. Saxon started to take off her hat, but suddenly sat down on the bed. She sobbed softly, with considered repression. But the weak-latched door swung noiselessly open, and she was startled by her sister-in-law's voice. "'Now what's the matter with you, if you didn't like them beans?' "'No, no,' Saxon explained, hurriedly. "'I'm just tired, that's all, and my feet hurt. I wasn't hungry, Sarah. I'm just beat out." If you took care of this house, came the retort, and cooked and baked and washed and put up with what I put up, you'd have something to be beat out about. You've got a snap you have, but just wait. Sarah broke off to cackle gloatingly. Just wait, that's all, and you'll be fool enough to get married some day like me, and then you'll get yours. And it'll be brats and brats and brats, and no more dancin' in silk stockings and three pairs of shoes at one time. You've got a cinch, nobody to think of but your own precious self, and a lot of young hoodlums making eyes at you and telling you how beautiful your eyes are. Um, some fine day, you'll tie up to one of and then, maybe, on occasion, you'll wear black eyes for a change.' "'Don't say that, Sarah,' Saxon protested. "'My brother's never laid hands on you. You know that.' "'No more he didn't. He never had the gumption. Just the same, he's better stock than that tough crowd you run with, if he can't make a livin' and keep his wife in three pairs of shoes. Just the same, he's oodles better'n your bunch of hoodlums that no decent woman wipe her one pair of shoes on.' How you've missed trouble this long is beyond me. Maybe the younger generation is wiser in such things, I don't know. But I do know that a young woman that has three pairs of shoes ain't thinking of anything but her own enjoyment. And she's going to get hers. I can tell her that much. When I was a girl, there wasn't such doings. My mother'd take the hide off me if I'd done the things you do. And she was right just as everything in the world is wrong now. Look at your brother a-running around to socialist meetings and chewing hot air and digging up extra-strike dues to the union that means so much bread out of the mouths of his children, instead of making good with his bosses. Why, the dues he pays would keep me in seventeen pairs of shoes if I was a nanny-goat enough to want them. Some day, mark my words, he'll get his time And then what will we do? What will I do? With five mouths to feed and nothing coming in. She stopped out of breath, but seizing with the tirade yet to come. Oh, Sarah, please, won't you shut the door? Saxon pleaded. The door slammed violently, and Saxon, ere she fell to crying again, could hear her sister-in-law lumbering about the kitchen and talking loudly to herself. End of section one